All right, we're ready to pray this morning. Receive the word of God. Huh? Y'all seem so excited. I, I don't know if I can really handle it. I mean, it's, it's good. No, we're going to have a good time in the word this morning. Amen. Ready to pray? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we love you. We just thank you for the opportunity to learn and grow together. We thank you that uh, you're so good to uh, provide us uh, a, a very clear guide in scripture on how to live for you. We ask today that the word of God would come alive as you anoint it by the Holy Spirit, that you would edify us, instruct us, exhort us, cause us to think, uh, line up our thinking with yours. And we promise to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Today begins the, a new series that we're uh, launching today entitled God, the Bible, and Money. God, the Bible, and Money. Now, some might immediately think, wait a minute, those three things don't seem to go together. There's something that seems out of whack with that. The truth of the matter is they actually go together very, very well. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be studying about financial matters and God's view on money and how we should handle that. And the title for today's message is we're going to talk about what God thinks about money. What God thinks about money money. Now, um, I have to tell you that, uh, that this is no shock, but Money Magazine reported a few years ago that money had, had become the number one obsession of people. That didn't shock me at all. Does that surprise anybody here? M- money is, people are obsessive about money in a numerous different ways that they can be obsessive about it, but it is on people's minds all the time. Also, by the way, did you know that financial issues and money issues is the number one cause of conflicts um, in marriages Hmm? and contributes. It's actually rated number two as the contributing factor to divorce of marriages. But you know what number one, the number one cause is communication. And I have a strong suspicion that a lot of the communication has to do with money. You, You think so? And so as a result, guess what? I think money and misunderstandings about money and mis and disagreements about money and financial matters is a huge contributor to marital issues and divorce. So is this a relevant subject? Absolutely. It's relevant to the way we live. There may be no other subject that is more relevant and we want to take some time to do so today. People today have a lot of wrong thoughts about money. And their wrong thinking about money can result in pride, fear, deception, uh, controlling uh, manipulation, uh, uh, kind of a careless attitude. There's all kinds of extremes that can come when we simply don't have our thoughts properly renewed when it comes to money. Now, let me just tell you that I grew up in a a strong Bible-believing Christian home that I'm very thankful for. But even in spite of that, I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about money. And I discovered years later that I really needed to change the way I thought about money in general. And so uh, I, I have been in a lifelong recovery process to get my thinking straightened out about money. And I find that even mentioning the subject causes people to get nervous. And uh, that really shouldn't be. But I find that that's the case. And all the more nervous if it's in church. Yeah, if it's in church. And just, just so you know, and I say this more as a confession and repentance more than, uh, than by any means proud of it, but in the four years of this church, I've never ever spoken on a Sunday morning about money. 
finances. I've never taught that. Now, I'm admitting that as a wrong, not as something to be proud of at all, because I'm absolutely convinced of how important it is that we have the right thinking about money. So uh, if you're new or you're a guest here today, you don't have to think, oh my God, another pastor is always talking about money. And that's simply not the case. And people who know us and have been a part of this church can testify to that. So with no apologies, do I launch today a series on money? And this is a great launching scripture, great cornerstone scripture for us. It's probably one that you're familiar with, but we're going to say it together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is the Sermon on the Mount, or I saw somebody said the other day, it's a sermon on the amount. (laughs) And uh, I think it's probably both, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you repeat it with me? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a lot of people really don't get this passage of Scripture, but it is an axiom. It is absolute truth. And that means that wherever you put your money, wherever your treasure, wherever your investment of money and treasure and riches is, your heart will be interconnected and always at the same place. For example, if you buy something, you may never have cared for, for if, you had, if you went and bought something with your own money, all of a sudden that becomes very important to you, doesn't it? Try investing in a company. So let's say you want to invest in Starbucks coffee. Guess where the next time you want a cup of coffee, probably where you're going to go to buy a cup of coffee. Guess where? Starbucks. Why? Because now your heart is there. See? Because why? You're invested in it, and so now your heart is connected to it. There's an inseparable relationship between where our treasure is and our heart. Now, I've learned that if there's one thing to say, and if we really get to the bottom line about everything having to do with Christian financial sense, it all goes back to heart issues. And I think that's what the scripture is really addressing are the heart issues. So learning God's perspectives may be one of the most about money, may be one of the most significant areas of growth and discipleship. I actually believe that as Christians, we know once we begin this journey with Jesus as devoted followers of him, that, that our Christian life is a, is a journey, right? And we're all growing into Christ. And it's all about spiritual maturity and growth. And I've really watched this over, what, 44 years of full-time ministry now? People who don't deal correctly with the money subject as a part of their Christian growth are impaired and impeded in their development as Christians. It is one of the most significant pieces of understanding, knowledge, and thinking that we need to take in, but there is a commonly found resistance to the subject. And so until you address in your own growth, until you address these, you're you're really going to be harmed and hurt in your own spiritual development. And so some of you are here and you've avoided it out of fear or maybe skepticism or maybe you're like, well, you know, I just I don't want to even talk about it. It's not a subject to bring up. It's a very relevant subject and it's a Christian subject and it's one that we need to grab hold of. And there's some of you who are here who've been taught very well and maybe you've learned very well, but how many of you know there's always something that God has to teach us about anything that has to do with truth and from the word, there's something that we can learn. So that's what we're doing, talking about this subject. So let's start by talking about the Bible's emphasis on money. This may be shocking to some of you. Did you know that the Bible discusses money more than any other topic? 
There's 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, but there's 2,000 verses on money. Amazing, isn't it? More than any other subject. Among the parables, which we're so thankful for the parables in the Gospels, right? There are 36 different parables. Just 16 of the 36 are about money. Suggesting what? Maybe this is something we really need to dig into. One out of every 10 New Testament verses, one-tenth of all New Testament scripture deals with money or our attitudes about money. Now, with all of that as evidence, how can we resist giving ourselves towards a fruitful, healthy, balanced discussion about God, the Bible, and money? The truth of the matter is, is that money is spiritual. You can say amen. Have you ever thought about that? A lot of people say, well, why should we talk about money? Because money is spiritual. Money, there is nothing more spiritual, actually, than how we handle our money. It's the ultimate test of where your heart is. You really don't know where someone's true devotion and heart is until you touch on the money button. And you touch on the money button, and all of a sudden you find out where people's hearts are. And so money reveals very much. Adrian Rogers, a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee, said, a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. Hmm, interesting. I really believe that that's why the devil works so hard to distort and corrupt our thinking about money. He knows, first of all, if he can distort our thinking about money, it's going to, first of all, interrupt our own personal development. But he's also going to hold back the advancement of the kingdom of God. Just imagine if, if many small businesses fail because of what? The lack of capital, right? That's the number one reason small businesses and entrepreneurial efforts fail. Can you imagine the kingdom of God, if we just view all the kingdom of God, that's God's initiatives and his agenda on earth today. If it weren't for, if there was not money, it would simply dry up and wither away. So doesn't, doesn't it make sense that if you were the devil, I'm not calling you a devil, okay? But if you were the devil, wouldn't it make sense that if you could somehow interrupt the flow of money and finances, that that'd be a pretty sneaky strategy for you to keep the kingdom of God diminished and depleted, wouldn't it? Be a pretty wise strategy, wouldn't it? And let me tell you something. He is active and works overtime to mess with your money and to mess with your heads about money. And I propose to you that many of us have wrong thinking about money. Many of us have thoughts mental uh, mindsets, thought patterns been, that have been developed over time through our environments. We live in a world that's just crazy nuts with weirdness about money, whether it's materialism on one hand or whether it's totally being impoverished on the other and lack. We're, it, we're com continually combated and thwarted on the media by do this, use this, spend here, do this, Go crazy with this? Am I right? We live in a materialistic world, particularly here in the West. And I just came from a part of the world where I saw you know, extreme poverty. But the truth of the matter is that, that the enemy is out to affect the way we think and behave and act on, on the financial matters because it's a lifeblood to our spirituality. You can't separate money and spiritual things. 
Now, let's just make sure that we settle another foundational issue before we get started on this series, and that is that God is the source of all blessing. Your job, you say, I work for the U.S. Post Office. You may get a paycheck from the U.S. Post Office, but God must be your source. You say, well, I, I, I work for Regent University. God bless Regent University, but they're not your source. God needs to be your source. He may be using Regent University to pay you, or you may be in the Navy. He may use the Navy to help pay your needs. He's using it, but who is the source? U.S. Navy is not your source. And by the way, if you think the government's your source, I'm, I feel for you anyway right now. I just tell you that right now. I wouldn't want the government to be my source. It's so messed up in its money, right? But the point of the matter is we all need to acknowledge that God is ultimately our source. He presents himself as a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God as Jehovah. One of his names is what? Jehovah Jireh. I am the God that what? Provides. We need to acknowledge God is our source. That needs to be like at the, at the tip top of our thinking about finances and money. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above, comes from the Lord, the father of lights in whom there is no variance. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it goes on to say, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can you say the word reward? reward. Is there anything bad about that word? No, it's a positive word, isn't it? It doesn't say that he's a cursor. It doesn't say he's a taker. It doesn't say that, that there's anything bad. God is a rewarder. And yet a lot of people have trouble seeing God as one who's going to reward them and bless them. But he is a rewarder and he wants to reward you with financial freedom. He wants to reward and bless you with more financial blessing than you've ever imagined possible. Four different times in the book of Deuteronomy, there is very clear scripture that says, if you will live a devoted life of obedience to me, the Lord says, I will bless everything you put your hand to. It's a conditional promise. I'm going to pour out great blessings if you'll follow me. If you follow me and you give obedience to me, then the natural result is going to be what? Blessing. All kinds of blessings, but inclusive of financial blessings and material blessings. God wants to bless us more than we even realize. There's even a whole chapter on the Abrahamic blessings and curses, Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you've ever, if you ever want to go spend some time there, it's quite a lengthy chapter. And by the way, there's a whole lot of negative stuff there, but then there's some positive stuff because it's a list of those uh, the Jewish people could see the children of Abraham. And by the way, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 15 says that we now, because of being in Christ, we are now children of, of we're children of Abraham. We're basically the offspring heirs of that same promise. So we have these list of curses and a list of blessings. Deuteronomy 28 says, if you follow, if you refuse to follow God, you don't do things his way. Guess what? You qualify for a whole list of curses and none of them are good. It includes everything from illnesses and sicknesses to psychological depression and includes a whole lot of financial stuff there, poverty and lack. Those are the curses. But then in contrast, it says, but if you'll follow me and you'll do things my way, basically the Lord's saying, do things my way, then you get these blessings. And then it gives a whole list of blessings. And a part of those blessings are financial and material it says your vats will overflow. Your barns will be full. You'll be blessed going in. 
You'll be blessed coming out. You'll be blessed whether you live in the city, you live in the country, you're going to be blessed. I mean, it's all about the blessings of God. But these are conditional blessings. And they're reserved for people who give God their whole heart, their whole life, and follow him out of obedience. God is the source of all blessing. Do you know that God wants to prosper you? 3 John verse 2 says, I would that you prosper. I want you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. It is the Lord's desire to prosper, make you abundantly blessed. The Bible says and so that the Lord delights in the prosperity of the righteous. So we see very clear, who is the source of blessing? God. He is the source of all blessing. Now, I want you to just to look at another scripture with me. And before I get into uh, some other important things about our thinking, I want to speak to you about Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 that raises the subject of mammon. And uh, the verse that I have here is actually, I think, in the New International Version. But in the uh, King James Version, there's a word here. Instead of money or riches, it uses the word mammon. So I want to talk to you about breaking the spirit of mammon momentarily. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, what does it say? No one can serve two lords or two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, the word mammon is an old Aramaic rooted word that literally does mean money or riches, but at the heart of it, there's something a little bit deeper that you need to understand. This verse contrasts for us a relationship to two different things, and it has to do with the spirit that's behind it. Did you know that money actually can have a spirit on it? Yeah. Spirit, money that has been dedicated to God for holy Godly purposes can have God's spirit on it. And by the way, that's the reason that it, it can multiply. We'll talk about that in the last week of our, of our series. But the reason it can multiply is because it has God's spirit on it. But in the same way it can have, if it's devoted to God for kingdom use and for good use, those money that is dedicated to the devil or that is dedicated to per- selfish purposes or greed or all kinds of evil that, uh, that is very rampant today in our world has a different spirit on it. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Mammon is a spirit. It was literally akin to one of the idols of the Old Testament. Now, people, everyone understands this. People today use money to manipulate. People use money, companies use money, and people use money to manipulate and to gain control. It's one of the most common things, and that's ungodly. It's this very spirit of mammon is why people think in their minds that money is going to bring them happiness or fulfillment. We know that's true. Some of the most unhappy people in the world are people with a lot of money. Do you know that? Mammon, this verse addresses mammon because the spirit of mammon always wants to rule and be in control. The spirit, the worldly spirit over money wants to control our lives. And the nature of it is this. It promises you everything, but it delivers nothing. It promises you everything, but it delivers nothing. 
Jesus here is making a contrast between the Spirit of God, who's going to be in control of your life, the Spirit of God contrasted with the Spirit of mammon. Now, money in and of itself is not evil, but it has to do with what is it being ruled by and what kind of spirit is on it. This is why both of these things cannot rule simultaneously. They simply can't. We have to make the choice. We don't need to hate money, but we should hate and oppose the selfish, deceitful, greedy, and lying spirit of mammon. And God wants to break that ungodly spirit off of our lives. Amen? I don't want that, do you? Do you want that spirit that controls the way the world looks at, deals with, and controls money? It's deceitful. It's it's lying. It's greedy. It's all about me, 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 me. That's the world we live in. But we have to understand that in this series, I'm praying, part of my prayer is that God will break, if any of us are being influenced by that unhealthy, ungodly spirit of mammon, it'll be broken off of our lives. Now, what we would need to address is how we think about money. And I want to suggest to you five wrong thought patterns about money. Five wrong mindsets. All right? So, Obviously, this is going to teach us what the right mindset is, but I'm going to approach it using the five wrong thoughts about money. And by the way, these thought patterns and these uh, worldviews and mindsets developed over time. They didn't just pop up in your head yesterday. All right? Uh, It's because of our environment. Sometimes they're developed uh, this wrong thinking because we've been taught wrong. And by the way, churches are many times at fault for wrong teaching about money. Not to mention the fact that there's many cases of abusive uh, leadership when it, regarding money and the, and the handling of money. So what it does is it causes a suspicion. It causes skepticism. All you have to do is mention the word money and people get nervous. Am I right? Particularly in churches. And that shouldn't be the case. Because as I said, money is spiritual. We ought to be able to talk about it and then you not get all of a sudden get a little itchy. You know, so, Honey, you got your purse? Hold on to it. Don't let it back. Come on, let's, let's grow up and let's learn to talk about what is really important and how does God think about money. So there's five wrong thoughts about money I want to specifically address right here. Number one, the first one says this, money's not important to God. So for some people, the first wrong way that they think is they think, oh, well, money has to do with me. It's just practical. It's, it's pragmatic. It's just, you know, I deal with it. And, you know, it's a calculated thing. And it's, it's just math or it's just this or that. They don't think that God's interested to it. You know why money is important to God? Because you're important to God. And he understands. We all, we, no one can sit here and deny the relevancy and the, and the value that money is simply a currency in which our needs are satisfied. There's food on your table. There's clothes on your back because it takes finances and it takes money. And God cares about you. And that's why money does matter to God. Number two, the second wrong mindset is this. It's a mindset that says money's evil. Oh, that filthy lucre. Give me some of it, by the way. We'll sanctify it, all right? <laughs> but there is a view that says money, anything happened to money, that's evil or that's worldly. It's not true at all. Actually, money in and of itself is amoral. In other words, it's not evil or it's not righteous in and of itself. 
It has to do with how it's used. It's just like this. If I said to you, your laptop or your tablet or your smartphone, are they evil? So you say, well, I've done some evil things with it. I'm not talking about that. Is the laptop itself evil? Is the technology of the lap that makes the laptop work evil in of itself? No, 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 no. It's what we do with it. It can be evil or it can actually be a blessing. Ray is taking notes today with his tablet. See, it's righteous. You see? <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say? So the laptop in of itself or a tablet in of itself, it's amoral. It's not evil and it's not righteous. You know, that's why, you know, people like to fall into legalism by preaching against certain things. Well, TV's evil or the media's all evil. It, it's, it, they're, they're evil things on the media, but media itself is not evil. It all depends on how you use it. You can use media to bless God and to serve God and to spread the gospel, right? It all depends on how it's going to be used. And that depends on who's behind it and how we're using it, right? So money is the same way. Money can be very righteous or it can be used in an evil way. What does the scripture tell us? What is the root of all evil? Not money. Please be careful not to ever say that. Well, you know, money's money's the root of all evil. Not true, not biblical, but the love of money is the root all that comes evil. You know, just that verse alone ought to tell us that we really need to tap into this subject, doesn't it? If the love of money is the root, and this is a root-fruit principle issue, let's go to the root. I mean, a lot of times we're picking off fruit out here, trying to deal with all this stuff. Let's just get to the root of the matter. And that's why I say it. this is an issue of heart. The love of money is what? That's a heart issue, isn't it? So who do you, who, where is your treasure? Where your treasure is? There will be your heart. So it's the love of money that is evil and is the root of all evil. The third wrong thinking that I want to address is what I just, I'm just using the terminology, a poverty mentality. Is anybody familiar with that here? I think maybe more than you realize. I grew up in a uh, low to middle income home in a small town in central Texas. And as I said, to a good family, a godly family. But I was raised with a poverty mindset. That poverty mindset basically said this. I had a hard time for for much of my life believing that God really wanted to bless me financially. Struggled with it. And I would hear someone saying, I'm mm, just automatic, like reject, reject, reject. And I never knew why I had trouble with it. And I wrestled with scripture and I wrestled with spiritually and prayer. And many years ago, the Lord awakened me to the fact that, that, that we had really been affected with a poverty thinking. A poverty mindset says, if you have a little, if you have the, the, sometimes some would even say the, the least you have, the more spiritual you are. You can't be real spiritual, godlike, if you have, if you have money, you have wealth, you have possessions. Oh, you couldn't be. So, in other words, they equate spirituality with having a little. Do you know that's a lie from the devil? It's a lie to keep us poor. 
It's a lie to keep us from being channels of blessing for the kingdom of God. And I grew up with this poverty mindset that said, well, you know, yeah, I know. it's okay for other people, but it was, a, it was rooted in a sense of self-worth, a lack of self-worth, and a, and a real insecurity and inferiority, and I just didn't feel worthy to be the recipient of that. And thank God, I think the, the back of that has been broken over us, and from time to time, though, I still find myself falling into that thinking. It's the same mindset that actually heaps up a lot of guilt on us when we do get blessed. We feel like we have to apologize. Feel like we have to actually defend it when the Lord blesses us richly. And one way you can easily find this is uh, a lot of people will have shame or guilt about having something nice. Have you ever heard someone justify you recognize something? I say, Dan, listen, man, that's, that's, did you get a new car? That's nice. He'll say, no, it's not really used. It's, it, it's not new. It's three or four years old. I'm picking on Dan because I don't think he would say that to me. But in other words, he's, oh, you just don't know the deal I got. You say to a woman, that's a beautiful outfit. You know what she'll say? I got it on sale at TJ Maxx. don't care whether you bought it at Neiman Marcus. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be good money managers. I'm simply saying, why do we respond the way that we do? Sometimes I think it's this poverty mindset that says we need to feel ashamed and guilty about having been blessed. When we just got through saying all blessings come from, come from God. That friend is a poverty mentality and you got to be set free from it. And the only way to get set free from it is to confront it directly with truth. Now, by the way, there is an opposite extreme. I'll just mention very quickly. There is a theology that sometimes we call a prosperity theology, which let me clarify what it means and what it doesn't mean so you understand. Prosperity theology says the more money you have, the more spiritual you are. And if you're poor, you can't be godly. Because those that are blessed financially, those that are right with God are blessed financially. Therefore, you equate the two and says, if you're below this level, then you're really not right with God. Is something wrong with your life? Because you're really not being, you're not walking in the kind of financial blessings that you ought to walk in. That can be a doctrine, a prosperity doctrine that's extreme. Truth of the matter is, God does want to bless us. And he wants us to prosper. We already established that. But don't get it to an extreme. And I, I used to know people who thought if you didn't have X number of this kind of car or that kind of car, you weren't real spiritual. And so all of a sudden, the standards became this unreal kind of a standard of, of certain kinds of possessions. And those that are really close to God, they have this kind of car or they wear this kind of clothes or they have this or they have that. That is false. And it's a wrong teaching. And it's erroneous, and we just need to reject it out of hand. At the same time, we acknowledge God really wants us all to prosper. Do you know why he wants to bless you, by the way? To be a blessing. The reason he is so anxious to bless you is so he can make you a blessing to others. And we'll demonstrate that scripturally here over the next few weeks. All right, number four. The fourth wrong thought about money is giving is forgetting. Giving to get is not an appropriate motive 
forgiving. Now, hold on to me. There's a very uh, delicate yet important line of distinction because there is a law of reciprocity, a law of the harvest, law of seed time and harvest. We're going to deal with that on the last weekend of November. We're going to talk about this principle of multiplication, which basically says that God will multiply, and as you give faithfully to him, he will multiply and bless you, and blessings after blessings after blessings, and that, that law comes into effect. So we're not denying that you, because you give obediently to the Lord, there's a blessing attached to that. There is. And with whatever you measure out, whatever you give, whatever measure, there's a corresponding parallel in how you're blessed. But that is the emphasis on the reward side of it. The issue that we're talking about is motivation. In other words, this isn't like casino religion. I'm going to put down X number of dollars on this number and then we're going to roll the dice or spin the wheel and see if we can land on the right number. And somehow then God's going to put, it doesn't work that way at all. So if you, I know people who have fallen into this, they, 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 the, and the way many people teach giving or to try to promote people to give is say, look, if you really want to receive, you got to give. Well, is there some truth to that? There is a measure of truth to that. But if you take it to the extreme and that becomes your heart motive, that's wrong. We don't give to get, we give to give and we live to give and we find the joy, not the drudgery of giving. We find out what a joy, what a kick it is to be able to learn to give generously and to have a generous spirit rather than a stingy spirit. Some of you had a stingy spirit way too long, way too long. You need to get rid of that and get set free and really walk into true generosity. It will turn your life around and it's a whole lot more fun. But giving to get is an inappropriate motive. Does that mean that when we give, we won't receive? doesn't mean that at all. But it has to do with the heart again. All right, everybody with me? Number five, the final one is coveting, covetousness. In other words, covet to covet means to desire what someone else possesses. The Bible calls that a sin says we should put covetousness aside. So it, coveting would be like if I saw that uh, Joy was getting to do this and I was comparing myself with Joy and I said, I want to do that. I want what she has. Or it's okay to say, well, that looks like that would be fun. I'd like to do that. Doesn't mean that it means actually to want what she has, to covet what she has, what your neighbor has or is doing. Or opportunity. You can covet opportunities. You can cover, covet material things. Covet someone's employment. Whatever it is. Coveting is sin. And that's wrong thinking. So we need to understand. God's, God is the source. And we need to shift our eyes from comparisons like this. And we shift our eyes to him. Amen? And then we can start getting our thinking straight. Mention one other principle and we'll close for today. So those are five wrong thought patterns on money. Now, when you get to the very bottom line of saying, how do we get our heads right about a Christian, biblical, divine perspective on money, it always comes to this issue. And it has to do with stewardship. 
Can everybody say the word? Stewardship. Now, I have found that Christians react strangely to the word stewardship. And I think it goes back to sometimes bad experiences, or you say stewardship, and you, immediately you think a church is having a building fund. Steward, stewardship is a word that comes from the word steward, right? Let me just define the word steward, because it's amazing the number of scriptures that speak use that word, but also the principle of stewardship. The word steward literally means house manager. Let me explain it this way. If, I, if my business is real estate management, which means other people own property, say they own houses, residences, or apartment complexes, and they say to me, we want you to manage our property, which means I'm responsible to collect the rent. I'm responsible to make sure the maintenance is done. I'm responsible if something breaks, I got to make sure it gets fixed right. I'm responsible. Does that mean I own it? No, I don't own it. I'm just there to manage it. I'm there, and, and, and whether I get, do, get more customers and clients, whether I do a good job of real estate management or not, all has to do with what? How faithful I am over my responsibility. Again, because I know that at one point or the other, I've got to answer to who? The owners. When it comes to our life as believers, this steward issue is paramount. We have to begin to think of ourselves as stewards. Stewardship, you cannot have stewardship without recognizing ownership. Ownership is important. Settle the issue of ownership. Who owns you? God, right? How do we know that? Look at the scripture. 1 Corinthians, it actually should be chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and, your, and in your spirit with your gods. When you came to Jesus Christ, you acknowledged that he paid a price for you. The price of his own blood, right? He then, when you gave your life over to him, you yielded him. He bought you and paid a hefty price for you. When you come under his lordship, you're saying, I acknowledge you, Jesus Christ, as the Lord, the master, the owner of my life. And that means everything in it. That means my stuff. Amen. My stuff. Whether it's a little or a lot. All my stuff. My money. My talents. My abilities. My skills. My opportunities, my friendships, my marriage, my kids, my time. It all belongs to you. My dog, my cat belongs to you. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's a total package deal when it comes to ownership. And you have to be able to say, he's my owner. He owns me. Look, if you walk around with a mindset of he's the owner and you are the steward, can you see that that changes everything about the way you live, everything about the way you think, everything about the decisions you make, everything about the investments you make, everything about what job you take and which one you say no to? It changes everything because now you're a steward. And there's only one thing that matters. Are you going to be a poor steward or are you going to be a faithful one? The scripture reinforces repeatedly to us this idea of stewardship. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I don't have time to read it. It talks about faithfulness as a steward. The Bible says, who will be a wise and a faithful steward? 
There's numerous parables all about stewardship, all about talents. And the issue is, will you be a good steward? The idea is what? I have management responsibilities. I have to answer to someone for it. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. But I've got to answer to him for what I'm doing. Doesn't that bring into play how I spend it? Doesn't that bring into play how I save it? Doesn't that come into play how much I give and where I give it to and how I, how I, my attitude, it brings everything into play. The reason that God wants you to be a faithful steward is because he would like to entrust you with more. See, that's why this giving to get mentality is, is kind of cockeyed because it says, all you have to do is just give and then you're going to get That doesn't factor in stewardship. God is not, you know why God won't make some of us a millionaire? Because we can't handle it. We haven't handled what we've had so far. Well, but you know, if God would really bless me, I'd, well, you just don't know what I do. Really? Really? You're kidding me. The issue is stewardship. And will we be faithful stewards? And the more we prove ourselves faithful stewardship, even over our money and our finances, it says to God, I have integrity and you can trust me. I'm not going to go off and do something stupid and crazy. So you can put more of your resources into my hands. How many believe God would really like to do that? I'm convinced of it. And it's not just a matter of how much you've given. It's a matter of whether you're obedient with your money. Can he really trust you? Are you a faithful house manager? Randy Alcorn defines it as this way, an asset manager. Always wanted to be an asset manager. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? To be an asset manager. Because God's assets, it's God's assets, but he's asking me to manage them. So whether you have a little or you have a lot, stewardship is the issue. Will you be a faithful steward? During these next few weeks, I'm praying and I'm expecting God is going to turn some of us upside down and set us free and give us right thinking and renew our minds when it comes to his perspective on money, on every angle. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray with you. Ari's going to come and just speak a blessing. I'm going to ask that our prayer team's Ministry teams would come to the front at this time because there are those of you that have needs in your life, whether you want prayer for healing, whether you want to come to Jesus. Maybe some of you don't have a right relationship with God. This is your opportunity to get your life right with God. You simply come forward, allow one of these teams to pray and minister with you. Before you leave here today, make sure you do it. The Spirit of God is dealing with you about something. Let someone pray with you. There's power in these prayers. Amen. Can you pray with me right now? And what I would just ask that you do is is acknowledge this. Could you say this with me? Lord, I acknowledge that I need to have my thinking about money tweaked a little bit. Can you at least say that? Would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I can say that. Father, um, we give you permission to renew our minds on this subject of money. We refuse to allow the controversies and and abuses and scandals and weirdness that we've seen in different circles, whether it be secular or whether it's in religious circles or church. We refuse to allow that to back us off 
of really dealing with this all-important subject. So, Father, we ask that you would see our hearts today, begin to work on us, begin to set us in the right direction when it comes to our views, knowing this, that where our treasures are, there our heart is also. Today, I just break in the name of Jesus the spirit of poverty off of some people who are here today and the thinking poverty mentality. I break it in Jesus' name and I sever it and its influences. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would set us free to think your thoughts. And we'll give you all the honor, all the praise, in Jesus' name. Now, Ari's going to just speak a blessing over you, and then you'll be dismissed. May the Lord just bless you richly. May we walk as children who have been set free. And maybe may we freely give because he has freely given to us without limit. You are dismissed. If you would like prayer, our prayer teams are here for ministry.